Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at Coastline Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Good morning, balcony. So good to see you. So glad you're here. Thank you, James and the team and Luke and the team. What a beautiful presence this morning, amen? Nothing like Sundays. Uh, as uh, Pastor Lisa mentioned, we're from Halifax. We still believe, believe that wise men come from the East. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Any East Coasters in the room? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Didn't know my mom was here. Okay. Uh, Halifax is beautiful in the summertime. Summer was on a Wednesday this year. We really enjoyed it. It was so good. Uh, but you live in a beautiful city on a beautiful coast, and I'm here with my wife of 23 years. Yeah, if you cheer just because you've been married for a while, you know what's a big deal that is. If you didn't cheer, you don't know. It's a miracle. It takes a lot of patience to live with a man like me. And our beautiful daughter, 16, is here as well. And I love telling the story how we met. Um, a lot of, I've worked with young adults for years, and it's always like, how did you meet your spouse, and how did you meet the one? And uh, a true story, the first time I ever laid eyes on my wife was at the airport, and she was working at the ticket counter for an airline. I was checking in for a flight, and she was behind the counter, a little five foot two, brown eyes, great smile, uh, cute as a button, and I walked up, and the first time I ever laid eyes on her was at the uh, ticket counter, and uh, true story, she did not upgrade my flight that day. <laughs> but she upgraded my life when she said yes to marry me. See, some of you girls are like, oh. Some of you guys are like, that's so lame. <laughs> and guys, that's why you're single, right there. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, six years ago, we planted Nova Church. Um, and it's been the most challenging, most rewarding thing we've done in our lives. And as a family, we planted the church, and God is so good. And uh, if, you're, if you're the praying type, we could use some prayer. Just pray for God to do something on the East Coast. He's working all across the country, and um, we're just so thankful. Um, Nova is the church the world has built. Uh, the world has prayed into it, given to it, and we, we stand on the shoulders of so many prayers and giving and talents and wisdom. Even your pastors, you are blessed with the leadership you have and they, are, they, they take my call and our texts, and we're so thankful for their wisdom and their anointing and their leadership and their friendship. You are blessed as a church, amen? And we're so thankful for your leadership. Can I encourage you to come back tonight? Um, Pastor Jonathan's preaching tonight. Honestly, one of the great voices in our nation, both prophetic and provoking. And um, I, I think um, much of the church, the global church is in a slumber, but she's starting to wake. And um, you are called to be a part of that wake-up alarm. And I'm so thankful for your anointing. So come back tonight. Be well worth it. Uh, it'll be good. If you have your Bible tonight, uh, today, can you turn to John chapter 8? John chapter 8. And I um, just want to bless you today. I want to start by reading our theme verse for this conference. If you were able to join us for a few of the sessions, you would have heard this, seen it in videos and a part of messages. Ephesians 3.20. What a powerful verse. Can I encourage you? There's nothing like the Word of God. Uh, bring your Bible to church, whether you turn it on on your phone or bring it in paper. There's something about the Word of God. It's the only book you do not read. It reads you. It's a book that changes your life. It's the most sold book, the most stolen book. It's the most important book. There's something about this book. It is a bestseller for a reason. God wants to speak to you. 
There's power in the word of God. Ephesians 3.20, let me read it in the uh, NIV. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power. Oh, I'm so glad we don't have a form of godliness without the power, but we have power of God to his power that is work within us. I really believe today as we focus today and we start, I want to focus on this part of the verse now to him who is able. You need to know today if this is your first time at Coastline or if this is your church, we are passionate about following him, which is Jesus Christ. We are Jesus people in this church. Can someone say amen? If you cut us, we bleed Jesus. We are passionate about Jesus. I believe even the term in our country has been so watered down, even Christianity uh, we, we have a term in Nova, we just say we're Jesus followers because I find everybody says they're a Christian. You got people winning awards for singing songs about abuse and drugs and sex and they get up and they thank their Lord Jesus Christ. I'm like, listen, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower. There's something that separates it when you bring out the name of Jesus. Now to him, Jesus, we are Jesus followers. We are passionate about Jesus Christ. I believe the greatest threat to Christianity is not another religion, it's not secularism or culture, it's a Christless Christianity. So many people want to be spiritual. We get that in our church all the time. I'm just spiritual. They want enough spirit to put it in their Instagram bio. Ephesians, you know, that's my bio on Instagram, but they don't want the Christ in their faith. We want to be spiritual. We want community, better together. We say it, we do it. We want community and worship and we want vision and purpose. We want coffee, but we don't want to be led by Jesus. Isn't it amazing that we love Jesus the Savior, but we resist Jesus the Lord? We love Jesus that forgives our sins, but sometimes we resist Jesus wanting to lead us into our tomorrows. But the Bible says now to him who is able. We are Jesus people here. If you're in this room, you need to know today Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. He is obsessed with you. He died for you. He lives for you. He wants to lead you. Jesus changed my life. Anybody else in the room? Jesus changed your life. Amen. John chapter 8, verse 1. Let me read a few verses today to encourage you. If you're there, say hey. If you're lying, say hey, hey. <laughs> it's always a few. Okay. Verse 1. Now, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. Not the kind of stoning you can smell in the streets of Halifax and Victoria, a different type of stoning. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you. Oh, I love Jesus. Verse 11, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go 
and sin no more. Today, just for a few minutes this morning and this 11 a.m. service, so glad you've joined us online, you've joined us in person today. I want to talk on this topic. If you're taking notes, write this down somewhere. Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence. I thank you for already feeling, God, your presence in this room. I'm so thankful you're already changing lives. You're already confronting and encouraging. You're directing and correcting. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place, into every life, into every corner of our heart and lives. We're so thankful for the work you're doing. Father, I bless this church. I bless from the oldest to the youngest, from the back to the front, of every age, every campus. Bless them with your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Our goal today is not to be informed or entertained, but to leave here transformed according to your word. We want to leave here more in love with you and more like you than when we walked in. In the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said, Amen. The older I get, and I am getting older, I just transitioned from skinny jeans to baggier pants, and everybody said amen to that. My daughter is so thankful, but I'm getting older, and the older I get, I'm, here's how I know I'm getting older. I have upstairs and downstairs Advil. <laughs> if you didn't get that, it's because you're young. Remember, remember, remember the days when we didn't stretch before we did things? Man, those were good days. I'm at the age where I'm upstairs, I'm like, I need Advil. I don't want to go all the way downstairs, so I have it in both locations. I'm actually at the age where I have Advil in my car now. I, I take it before I do things, just in case. That's the age I am. But the older I get, um, the more I realize things are starting to sag and change and form and wrinkles. And I am unlike the bride of Christ. I have spot and wrinkle. Come on, somebody. And things are changing. Uh, a couple years ago, I was at, at this conference, and a friend walked up, a friend, a fellow ministry, said, check this out, Mike, check this out. He said, smile. He took, I said, smile. He said, I'm going to take a picture. I'm like, do you want duck lips, gang signs? Like, what do you want? He's like, just, just smile. Took a picture of me. He said, watch this. He took that picture and put it into an app on his phone. He says, watch this. I can start filtering and moving things. I'm like, I don't need no filter. He's like, watch this. He says, see those lines around your eyes? I'm like, yeah. He goes, watch this. Gone. I'm like, oh, I like I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm liking this. He goes, look at this. See those spots? He goes, gone. He said, watch me tan this, tone this, tuck that. Started moving things around. Started whitening teeth and sharpening things. I'm like, who is that? Brad Pitt? What's going on? When he finished, he's like, now look at that. I'm like, can you send that to me? And that became my bio picture on everything. Every conference, every social media app. I'm like, just filter it, filter it. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Always take the pictures higher so we don't see some of this and lag forward. Come on, girls, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We got poses and just, I just got, my gosh. You know, I realized in life is we, we say we're Jesus people in this place. This church was built on worshiping Jesus. It's, its passion is to lift up Jesus' name. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we try to filter Jesus. Sometimes we come across parts of Jesus and we're like, man, Jesus, we love, we love your love. We love your forgiveness. We love that part of you. But there's this part where you want, we love Savior Jesus, but there's the Lord Jesus. You know what? It's a little cross-cultural. It's a little intense. Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Unless you pick up your cross, unless you eat of my flesh, unless you die to yourself, you can't be worthy of following me. Jesus, little intense little aggressive Jesus. Let's just tuck that and tone that and erase that and let's just go back to loving Jesus. Jesus, when you say, no, don't do this and don't do that, you know, that's a little, it's a little aggressive Jesus. I like, 
I like, I like the Jesus in the bathrobe with the sheep Jesus. Maybe not the bloody Jesus on the cross. I want to start filtering my Jesus. We start bringing people to church. We start sharing things. We start trying to figure this out. And we start trying to filter the Jesus that we present to people. Because we feel like it needs to be more acceptable. He needs to be a little toned down or tamed down. And we start filtering Jesus. I want to encourage you, if we're going to follow Jesus, and make no mistake, the passion of this church and our lives and our church is to follow Jesus, is we better make sure we're following the real Jesus. Not Instagram Jesus, not TikTok Jesus, not my opinion Jesus, not podcast Jesus, not culture Jesus, but Jesus, the name above all names who was and is and is to come, who is unchanging and unwavering in his commitment and his love, the Jesus that changes lives, the Jesus that saved me and rescued me, who made me and created me and will lead me, the Jesus that all eternity is based on and time is divided on, Jesus Christ, the name above all names. Unfiltered Jesus. In John chapter eight, I believe it's a picture of what unfiltered Jesus looks like. Ephesians 5.1 says, imitate God. Oh, we're so good at imitating so many other things, aren't we? Imitating our favorite preachers, our favorite Instagram people, our favorite designers we see online. Our houses look like their houses. Our food looks like their food. Our sermons sound like their sermons. Our music sounds like their music. We're really good at, 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 at imitating and copying, but the Bible says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because we are his dear, you are his dear children. John 8 is a, is, a, is a clear picture of the Jesus that we have given our life to. And today in the next few minutes, I want to unpack this and maybe bring it back into focus, the Jesus that we are so excited about, the reason why we get baptized, the reason why we bring our children up in church, the reason why we invite our friends, the reason why we come today is to follow the Jesus, the name above all names. John chapter 8 is a very powerful story. If we're not careful, we'll read this book as only a history book. We'll only read it as a book of philosophy or a book of stories, but there is so much tension and emotion in the pages of this text. In John chapter 8, it says this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. It's interesting how it never mentions the man. She gets drugged into social justice and the man gets away. Some things never change. In this moment, it says she was caught in the very act of adultery, which means in the very act, the crowd busted through a door, found her in a place of shame and sin and hiddenness, and drug her into the light for public justice. I can't help but imagine what that moment and emotion would have been like. And Scripture doesn't say this, but I don't believe it's hard to imagine that it maybe happened during the day that she just decided with this person who was not her husband, that she was going to follow through on these desires and something that was shameful and sinful, and they went into a hidden place. I don't know if she was a mother, and she, maybe she said to her kids, hey, I, I just need the house for a while. I just need you to go play with the neighbors. I need you, need you to just, just go for a while. And she knew what she was about to do was not something she was proud of. We do know this, that the crowd catching her in the very act would have busted into that private space and caught her and this man in the very act, and naked and afraid, they grabbed her and drug her out into the city square. I don't know as 
Can you imagine the emotion in that moment in this sinful, shameful place, caught in the act, all of a sudden the doors bust open and a mob, I don't know if you've ever been caught in a mob, I've been caught in a few angry mobs, the tension and the anger in that moment and grabbed her in a moment by the hair and drug her into the daylight. She would have known in a second what the crowd was planning because she had seen it her whole life. The law said she had to be stoned to death in that moment. In a moment of intimacy, now into a place of publicly knowing she was moments away from a painful death. Maybe it drug her into the street. Maybe she saw her kids. Her kids started screaming and running after her. And she was screaming, no, no, don't go. Go find your father. Go find your grandparents. Because she knew she didn't want them to see her die. Maybe the crowd was taking her, the mob, through the city streets, heading towards the center of town. I don't know, maybe her parents, her grandparents, or her siblings would have been in the market and seen the crowd going, oh, they, they caught someone else. We know what's about to happen. And all of a sudden, maybe her father would have been like, wait a minute, that's not just any head of hair. I know that head of hair. That's my girl. As a parent, I, maybe he said, I, I, I would know that head of hair anywhere. I raised her. I, I nursed her back to health when she was sick as a nine-year-old. I've taught her to walk. I would recognize that shape anywhere. That's my girl. And fighting through the crowd, maybe his wife would have said, no, no, it's too late now. The crowd has her. This is the tension in this moment. They drag her to the center of town and put her before Jesus naked and afraid, demanding justice, screaming, saying, what do we do with her? I'm so thankful that she met unfiltered Jesus. I don't know your story today, how you got here. I don't know what moment brought you to this place in time, but you need to know there's an unfiltered Jesus that Instagram can't contain, politics cannot define, and the world cannot deny the power of unfiltered Jesus. Unfiltered Jesus, the first thing he does, it says that Jesus stopped what he was doing. You need to know today that unfiltered Jesus is a stopping Jesus. When someone stops for you, what they're saying, what they're showing you is your importance, isn't it? I don't know if you, maybe it's at school or work or maybe even in church, you need someone's attention and people are busy, they got things to do and they're going somewhere. But when someone stops, like, what, excuse me, what did you want? And they just stop what they were doing, I'll catch up. What do you need? When they stop, what they're saying is, you're important in this moment. My schedule can stop. What I was doing is okay. Right now, I'm here in this moment. This is what I love about my wife. She's only five foot two, but man, she, she prays like Jesus. She loves like Mother Teresa, and she hits like Muhammad Ali. She is a, she's a good Newfoundlander, and she is strong. But when she focuses on you, it's like sunshine. There's no one else in the room. She looks up. Hey, you looks up to almost everybody because she's five foot two and she just locks eyes on you and there is no one else in the room. Whenever you stop for somebody, you're showing value. Jesus had stuff to do. Jesus was in the middle of his plan to rescue mankind, die on the cross, raise from the dead. He was on a mission to be a, a ransom, to bankrupt heaven and ransom mankind. He was on a mission to save us from our sins. He was on a mission to raise a leadership team and launch them into ministry, birthing the church, welcoming the Holy Spirit to, to merge with their training and to start the church, which we now enjoy millennia later. He had things to do, people to see, people to heal, teachings to teach. He had much to do, but in that moment, it says that Jesus stopped what he was doing and looked at this woman. I'm so thankful for a stopping Jesus. 
I lived in the south of England for a while in my 20s. And I remember hearing this story about this teacher who was retiring after many, many years of teaching. A local reporter who was one of her students many years ago said, I want to do a story on you. And he sat down and they had a cup of tea on the, uh, in her house. He said, tell me about your teaching over the last 50 years. Come to find out she had won this award, the Best Teacher of Great Britain Award, twice. In this award of all the teachers, it's voted on by, by, by co-workers and students, and she had won it twice, once in her 30s and once in her 50s. And this prize is you get an award and you get a plaque and you get the honor of going all the way to London to meet with the prime minister and have tea. He sat down with this teacher, his favorite teacher, and said, I need to talk to you about these two awards that you won as you get ready to retire. She said, oh, yes, I was very fortunate to win it twice. I can't believe I won, I won it twice. He said, tell me about that. She goes, well, I won it once in my 30s, very early in my career. I'll never forget taking the train up through Exeter into London and going into 10 Downing Street with the prime minister. And the reporter said, what was that like? She said, oh, it was amazing. I walked in and he gave me a tour of the residence and said, see this painting? That was given to me by this leader of this nation. And the queen gave me this furniture, welcomed me to this position. And over here, I got this from my travels and this from my travels. And he sat down and said, I'm so proud of what we've done in the last couple of years as a government. And I have visions to, re to reform and change this country. And he told me all about his plans as prime minister. And she said, it was an incredible time. The reporter said, how did you feel that day? leaving there and heading back home. She said, I felt like I had been with the most important person in the world. He said, now you won that award twice. She goes, I did. In my 50s, years later, she was same thing, a different prime minister, decades later, they took me to London, I went in. He goes, what was that like? She goes, it was very different. It was the same address and same place, but this time, this prime minister just sat me down. And I didn't get a tour of the wing. I didn't see furniture and paintings. I didn't hear about their policy. He asked me about my life. He said, tell me, how has teaching changed in the last 50 years? Your favorite, you're the favorite teacher, but I know you have a favorite student. Everybody thinks you're your favorite student, but who is your real favorite student? Tell me about your plans after you retire. And they said, how did you feel when you left the prime minister's house that day and she said I felt like I was the most important person in the world it's interesting when you stop for somebody it shows value Jesus here in this moment we need to know today Jesus is always stopping for people he stopped for me and he'll stop for you in the middle of balancing the heaven and the earths and time and all the wars and vision and births and deaths and people's lives in the middle of everything. He is still in the business of stopping for people. You need to know how valuable you are, how important you are. Jesus died just for you. Jesus lives just for you. You are so important. This woman was worth stopping for. The crowd only saw her sin, but Jesus saw her value. Many of you have met the stopping Jesus. Maybe everyone else saw your shame and your sin, but he saw your value. It's interesting, in scripture, she's only known as the woman caught in the act of adultery. Her name's not even mentioned. How would you like to go down in history as your lowest moment? She's known as the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know what I've learned in life? That people want to label us so quickly. 
They want to label you on your last Facebook post, on your weakest moment, on your lowest moment, on that business that failed, on that marriage that failed. They want to label you on something you said or did. And you know what the truth is? It's not what they call you. They're so quick to put labels on you. The truth is it's not what they call you. It's what you answer to. The crowd called her by her sin, but Jesus called her by her name. They called her by her pain, but he saw her as daughter. She called her many things, but she answered to her value. You need to know today, he's a stopping Jesus. He sees your value today. He sees your value. Jesus stopped for her, and Jesus stopped for you. He's not just a stopping Jesus in verse 6. It says that Jesus stooped down into the dirt and started writing in the mud. Stopping wasn't enough. He actually stooped down. He's a stooping Jesus. Doesn't only stop, he actually stoops. I'm so thankful that Jesus meets me right where I am in my life. I'm so thankful he meets us right where we are, that God bankrupted heaven and sent his son down to our level. Every other religion has man trying to get to heaven. If you give enough, if you're good enough, if you try hard enough over years of punishing yourself, maybe you can get enlightened. Maybe you can earn. Maybe you can be good enough to be worthy of a God loving you. Oh, but not Jesus, not God the Father. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He sent heaven to us, not waiting for us to come to earth. I'm so thankful for a God that not only stops, he stoops to come down to our level. So many people think, when I'm, Pastor, when I'm sober enough, maybe that's you today going, I can't believe I'm in church. I can't believe I'm in church. Like, if you knew where I was last night, if you know what I've done, if you know what I thought, I can't believe I'm here. And so many of us think when I'm sober enough, when I'm clean enough, when I'm focused enough, when I can give enough, when I'm good enough. But Jesus meets us right in our pain, right in the dirt of our lives, right in the mud, and starts writing messages of hope in our lives. I'm so thankful for a God that stoops to meet us where we are. The Bible says, well, we were still a long way off. But we were still dead in our sin. Jesus died for us. So thankful. He's not only a stooping Jesus in verse 10. It says that Jesus stood. The stopping Jesus is a stooping Jesus, but please don't miss this. It says he stood and he picked her up. Well, we need to know this today, that Jesus loves us enough to stop. He loves us so much that he stoops to our level, but he loves us so much he refuses to leave us where he found us. Jesus always wants to bring us higher. Jesus always wants to lift us higher. Galatians 5.1 stands because Christ has made us free. You can always tell when you've been around somebody who's been around unfiltered Jesus, around the real Jesus, because their life always goes to another level. Please don't mistake this. You don't need to behave or believe to belong. God loves you just as you are. But when you meet the real Jesus, something starts to happen. Listen, I may not be where I need to be, but I'm not where I was. I talk different, I walk different, I act different, I believe different, I love different. Why? Because Jesus is raising me up. So many times it's easy to find friends maybe that will stop and stoop for you, but they'll sit in your mud and have a little pity party. Together we'll complain about our spouses. Together we'll complain about our government. Together we'll talk about our addictions. Together we'll just wallow in our pain and our shame. But there's something about Jesus that says, I love you so much, I'll meet you where you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. 
All he who is free is free indeed. Christ came to set us free and lift us higher. Stand, because Christ has set you free. Unfiltered Jesus will always stand you higher. Know this, being a part of a local church, your life will change. You don't add church. Jesus takes over your life. You need to know today that Jesus changes lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. I am so thankful that I have a new heart, a new hope, a new joy, a new future, and a new grace on my life. Can someone say amen? amen. Oh, you need to let Jesus change your life, people. He loves you where he met you, but I'm different. I'm believing years from now I'll be different than I am today, and thank God I'm not where I was yesterday. God wants to stand you up. He's a standing. He's a stopping. He's a stooping. He's a standing Jesus. Oh, verse 11, I love this so much. He's not only those things. Verse 11, it says that Jesus said to her, go and sin no more. Jesus stops because you're so valuable. He stoops and says, I see you right where you are. He dusts you off and makes messages out of your mud and stands you up. But please don't miss this. He's also the sending Jesus. I think much of the church misses this part of Jesus. I grew up in a church that was so missions focused, they always said two-thirds of God's name is go, which is really tacky, but it's true. I was taught that there's a plan for my life, that there's a mission on my life, that I was raised to solve problems, that for every Goliath that's challenging a generation, there's a David spirit that wants to fight battles, and there's an assignment on my life, and I still believe that. Much of the church now enjoys the stopping, stooping, standing Jesus, but somewhere we want to filter off the mission he has for us. God's mission does not have a church. God's church has a mission. And sometimes we get caught in this cycle, this secular part of faith where we just meet the stopping Jesus. You walk into a place like this or the 2 p.m. or maybe a small group or maybe even online and you're like, I can't believe God would stop for me in the middle of everything, the chaos of the universe. He would, I feel like God is looking at me. Some of you are even saying, I feel like you're speaking right to me today. You hear that on Sundays. You're like, man, this is just meant for me. And you feel like all oh, heaven stops and we embrace stopping Jesus. And all of a sudden, we're like, man, you're looking right into my life. He's like, you're right at my level. I don't feel judgment. I feel like you see me right where I am. And we enjoy the stooping Jesus. Then we start to see some things happen in our lives. And all of a sudden, the things we used to crave, we don't crave anymore. All of a sudden, the way we used to talk, we don't talk anymore. We feel like our life is changing. People start noticing, man, you've changed. Only to reject the mission of sending Jesus to then fall back into patterns. Then we come back in going, oh, God, thank God that you stopped for me. Oh, God, I need you to clean me off. If you know where I did what I did last night and what I watched and where I went and who I was with, oh, God, thank you that you meet me in my sin and my shame and my pain. Oh, and then God stands us up and we walk out of here full of hope and forgiveness and grace, feeling like we could take on our week, only to end the week going, oh, God, I need you to stop for me. God, thank you that you see me in my shame and my pain. God, stand me up and I feel forgiveness and I can go on and take on my Monday, only to come back next Sunday going, oh, God, would you stop for me? God, would you stoop for me? Listen, I believe much of the frustration, and some of you are like, I've been to church, I did that in the 90s, I did that in the 2010s. Yeah, that's so pre-pandemic. And we get frustrated because I think we're missing something. The greatest frustration is not knowing. Listen, the most important day in your life is the day you were born. 
But the second most important day is when you find out why you were born. Listen, God has an assignment on your life, church. God did not birth this church at a revival just to stop, stoop, stand, and go in a cycle. God has a mission for this church. He has a mission for your marriage. He has a mission for your singleness. He has a mission for you young people. He's ascending Jesus. He's calling us to partner with him. I heard this story years ago, and I don't know if you hear these stories. I love stories. I, I was telling Pastor Jonathan, he's an avid runner, that I too do marathons on Netflix, Netflix marathons. <laughs> They're a lot easier, by the way. You can eat popcorn and do it. It's amazing. But I love movies and stories. I love this. I heard, sometimes you hear a story that you don't need to write down. You don't need to save it on YouTube. You don't need to, uh, you don't need to buy it or save it because it so resonates. I heard the story years ago about a man named Carl. Carl was a man in his 60s, him and his wife Gladys, and he was a painter. Not the kind of painter that would paint art or beautiful sculptures. He was a man that would paint houses and auditoriums. He was an industrial painter. His car was always full of paint cans, and he always wore the white overalls with the paint on it, a hardworking man in his 60s. The story goes that Carl, one day, he loved Jesus, and he was a part of his church, and now in his 60s, he's on his back patio having a cup of tea, and one day he looks down and sees the neighbors pull into their yard, driveway and go into their house, two houses down. And he feels a voice from heaven going, go invite that family to church. Carl had a speech impediment, couldn't speak that well, was an introvert, a shy man, but he knew and he followed unfiltered Jesus. He knew that God stopped and stoops and stands him up, but he's also ascending Jesus. And he couldn't deny the call he felt to go invite that family to church. The story goes, he put his mug down and walked out the front door and walked down two driveways and two lawns and walked up to the house and knocked on the door. This woman came to the door, had a little baby, I don't know, four months of age on her hip and a little girl about five and says, hello. He's like, Hi, I'm, my name is Carl and I just, I just live up there. There's my wife and Gladys is up the, up the street waving down. And this woman goes, oh, I've seen you. Yes, you're our neighbor. She goes, yeah, listen, I know this might be strange, but we go to a, a very lovely church on Sundays and I was wondering if maybe your daughter would like to come with our granddaughters. We go to church. This woman's like, we, we don't, that's very nice, but we don't go to church. We've never been to church. That's not really our thing. And this little girl was excited at the opportunity of church. She started pulling on her mother's coat. Mommy, I, I want to go to church. I want to go to church. It's okay. It's, we don't really know these people. You're very nice. Um, but, but we don't go to church. Mommy, I want, how many know little five-year-old little girls can be very persistent? Come on, husbands. How many know full-grown women can be very persistent? Come on, mommy. I want to go to Costco, mommy. I want to go to Costco, you know. Finally, this, this woman said, oh, oh, okay, 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 okay. She'll go to the church with you. The next week comes Carl and Gladys and their grandchildren show up and they pick up this little girl and they take her to church and she has the best time ever. Best time ever. She comes home that week. She's, mommy, I'm gonna be in a play. Next week, you need to come. She's gonna be in a play. She's, I'm gonna be a sheep. <laughs> they had felt boards. Remember felt boards? Come on, where are my felt board people? How many remember felt boards? Remember the sheep, they'd fall off. You're pulling, come on, fall off, fall off. The same character for Moses was also Elijah. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's because you're young. She's I'm going to be a sheep. I know you're thinking that's a bad idea. 
The 9 a.m. loved that one, by the way. Her mother goes, okay, I'll come to church with you next week. Saturday night, Carl calls and says, I hear you're coming to church with us this week. She goes, no, no, listen, like, that's great that she's in a play. That's good for her, but we don't really go to church. The little girl's like, mommy, you promised, you promised, you promised, you promised. And finally she said, okay, I'll go to church. See, what you don't know, what Carl didn't know, he said, this woman looked like she had her life all together on the outside, her and her husband. They had the nice home and the nice motor home, RV in the, in the driveway, and young, healthy family, but on the inside, they were dying. The husband worked a full-time job as a salesman, but he also owned his own nightclub in the evenings, and he'd work all day for his boss, but then he'd go make his, his nightclub a success in the evenings, but he'd drink way too much, and he went from being a workaholic to an alcoholic. He would work all day, drink all night, drive home drunk, get it, fall into bed, get up and do that week after week, year after year. This woman went from being sad and disappointed to depressed. It got so bad that she actually went into a place of such depression, she thought, I can't live this way anymore. I don't see any way out of this. And she devised a plan to take her own life. And I, I've struggled with anxiety, but I've never been to that level of depression. And, and maybe some of you in this room have, but she said, I just, it would be better to end my life than to have to live in this kind of pain. And she devised a plan to just to make it go away. But she loved her kids. And again, I, I don't understand this, but the, the, the thought was, I, I can't leave them behind because he can't look after them. And I don't want the government to take them. So she thought, I'll take their lives and then I'll take my own. And then the pain will be gone, and that'll be it. She gathered all these pills and put them at the kitchen table one evening. The husband was at the nightclub working and drinking, and she put the four-month-old in a chair, high chair, and the five-year-old coloring, and she sat down with all these pills. And in that moment, I don't know your theology, I don't know how you were raised, I don't know what you know about God, but I believe God put her out in that moment because the story goes that she fell asleep at that table. I don't know about you, but the adrenaline going through my body, I don't think sleep would have been possible, but God put her out. A miracle happened, but she went out. And when she woke up a little while later, she was still feeling suicidal, but she thought, it's too late now. If, I, if, 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 if he comes home early, if a neighbor finds us, I, that would be worse, so I'll just take the pills and I'll wait for another day. And she put the pills up and went on with her day. That was the week Carl knocked on her door. That Sunday, they go to church, they get in the station wagon, they go to church, and she walks into a church just like this. Now, it didn't look like this. It was an old, uh, white-painted church with a steeple, but it had the same spirit and love for God, the same people smiling on the doors, the same people singing with all their heart. And the story goes, during the sermon, she couldn't even wait. She walked down in her miniskirt and her fake eyelashes and bowed her knee to Jesus, and she met unfiltered Jesus that day. Oh, the story goes, she walked out of that door, and she said, I've never seen the sky so blue in my life. I've never seen the grass so green. I heard birds chirping. I don't remember the last time I heard birds chirping. And now she was on a mission from God. She met the stopping, stooping, standing, but now she was being sent by God. She goes, I will win my husband. She went home, her home was still a mess, her husband was still drinking, it was still the same pain, but now she had something she didn't have before. She had Jesus. And she would listen to worship music and she would raise her kids and she would love her husband and he would come home drunk every night and go back to work for month after month after month. And one night, 
He came home and she couldn't get the Christian music off the record player in time. Records were these things we used to have that used to have. (laughs) She couldn't get the record player off in time. She thought, oh no, he hates that Christian music. If he hears it, he came home early. This is the night he hits me. This is the night it gets violent. She couldn't get to the record in time. He walks in the door, but he's sober. And she's like, she goes back to drying the dishes and he sits on the couch. She goes, you're home early? He goes, yeah. Yeah. He said, I went to the bar down the street to have a drink just to, you know, and the beer tasted horrible. He said, I went across town to another bar, to my buddy's bar, and the beer tasted horrible. He said, I went to our bar, and I walked in and poured myself a pint, and the beer tasted horrible. He said, I'm so frustrated. And then he starts to well him up, and he looks at her, and he goes, and you, what's the deal with you? He's like, I know I'm not the husband you thought you married. I know I'm not the man you're proud of. I know this is not the life you thought we were going to have, and I know but something happened to you. I don't know why you love me like you love me. There's something different about you. You have time for me, you love me, you see me, and you're committed to me. I don't get it, but I want this God that you have. And that day he bowed his knee and never took a drink again. So listen, you need need to know the rest of the story. They went on and had another little boy, a new baby, and he now works for a, a ministry called Billy Graham and travels preaching. They had their, their five-year-old little girl, well, she went on to do missions work and now she's a mom of three. And that four-month-old little boy, that helpless little boy in the high chair of all places today, he is at Coastline Church preaching this morning at the 11 a.m. service. Listen, listen, you need to hear me. This is not a sermon to me. This is not three, four points. Please don't miss this. Your works will not get you to heaven. You can't earn heaven. Your works won't get you to heaven. But your works can get somebody else to Jesus. There is a mission. And our goal is not just to fill auditoriums and online chats. You don't know what an invitation to your home or this home will do for a life. Today in Halifax, my 76-year-old mother is the number one greeter at our church. And she's looking for people with deadness in their eyes, looking for herself years ago, going, I will find them. I'm on assignment. She has led more people to the Lord in our lobby than I'll ever do on the stage. My father, 82, he's the number one truck driver for our load team. This morning he drove the truck at 7 a.m., driving gear to our venue and loaded it back up. Never seen him take a drink. Faithful man of God, God changes lives. You need to know today, he stopped for you. He stooped for you. 
He's standing you up. But he wants to send you. And I don't know, 40 years from now, all over this world, you're going to walk into a cafe or a church and someone's going to be telling the story of the day you invited them to church or you invited them to your home, the day you stopped in a coffee shop and saw somebody where they were. Gladys died a few years ago. The wife, Carl's wife, and Carl died when I was a teenager, but Gladys died a few years ago and I went to her funeral and sat in the back and there's 50 people there. I just said, thank you. Your legacy is not seen in your lifeline, in your lifetime, but in your lifeline. And I'm sitting there going, oh, there's 50 people here in this funeral, but you have no idea, Gladys, what you and Carl did. Taking us to church and then driving us to church week after week after week. Years from now, people will be telling stories about your life of the day you shared that post on Facebook, on YouTube, and they heard about this place for the first time. The time you stopped and invited them in, you don't have enough barely to feed your family, but somehow you found enough to invite the neighbors over. I don't know what it is, but they'll be telling the stories. And God wants to do immeasurably more than what you've seen, what you can even imagine. Little did Carl know that that four-month-old 48 years later, be standing on stages like this, talking about his name and his obedience to unfiltered Jesus. God wants to do more than you can imagine. But I'm just a painter. I'm just a pastor. I'm just a stay-at-home dad. I'm just a mom. I'm just this. I'm just that. God will do much if we focus on him who is able. All over this place, can we stand to our feet? I want to pray for you, and then we're going to sing about the name of Jesus. Before I do, I want to give a moment, an opportunity for some of you to meet the stopping Jesus today. Maybe this is your first Sunday. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you've been coming for a while, but you, you know about Jesus. You've been to church, but you can't say you've actually given your life to follow Jesus. You're spiritual. You're positive, but you don't know this Jesus that I talk about. And today's the day you want to give your life to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I see you. I'm so thankful I feel you stopping and seeing me. And you want to embrace the Jesus that wants to stand you up from the mess that you're in and send you out on a mission. And some of you have never done this with every head bowed just for a moment for privacy and every eye closed. I'm going to give you a chance here in a moment to raise your hand and put it right back down and that's it. I'm going to pray for you. But I believe today a moment can change. Like my mother walked into a church just like this and eternity was changed because of a moment. You can have your moment today. He is still in the stopping business. With every head bowed, on a count of three, if that's you, I want you to slide your hand up and put it right back down. I want to pray for you. If you've never done this prayer, you've never accepted Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, I give you my life. Rescue me, rescue me from my sin and my shame. Raise me out of the mud of my life and send me on assignment. If you've never prayed that prayer, we're gonna pray that prayer today. One, it's not everybody, but it's somebody in this room. This is your day. He sees you. He loves you. He's calling you too. It's about to change. God has a plan for your life. Three, if that's you, put your hand up as high as you can. If that's you for a time, and put it right back down. I see those hands. I see that hand. One more second. Anybody else? I didn't see today. Put, thank you, put it right back down. Put it right back, thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So many hands in this place. This is the day he's stopping for you. 
want you to feel the love of Christ today. Can we all pray this prayer? It's not a mantra or a secret prayer, but the Bible says if you believe in your heart, which you did just by raising your hand, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not Savior, Lord, which means he leads you from this moment on, a miracle happens, new life. He looks after your eternity, but he also helps you in your present. He'll lead you in this moment. You might be walking back into a mess of a marriage or into a mess of a job, but listen, you're not alone anymore. The God that loves you is the God that's called you, is the God that's sending you, and a miracle's about to happen. Most in this room have prayed this prayer, but if you raised your hand, we're all gonna say it together. Church, can you help me here? Worship team, can you say this with me together? Let's all say this prayer after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for stopping. I thank you for calling my name. Today, I give you my life. Would you forgive me for my sin? Would you help me with my mess? Would you stand me up today? And would you lead me into my tomorrows? I believe in you, Jesus. I need you in my life. Come now and lead me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate? Come on, church. Can we sing about the name of Jesus? The name above all names. The name that changes everything. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Let's worship together because God is.